0: Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 150, Antichrist, the Antithesis of Joy. For the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about the principle of joy and how we truly receive it. Joy comes through Jesus Christ and through our loving and our rejoicing in the redemption of others, and then by also for us, for you, seeking redemption for yourself, J-O-Y. And today we're going to speak about the antithesis of joy. The antithesis of joy is Antichrist, for if joy is found in Jesus, the removal and the denial of Jesus is to remove joy. And I want you to ask yourself, why is Satan so threatened by joy? And why does he work so hard to keep you from truly experiencing it? And in Alma chapter 30, we're given some priceless knowledge about the workings of the Antichrist, Korhor. You see, this is the adversary strategy playbook, and it's captured right here in this chapter. And if we take it seriously, if we take him at his word and we study it, not only can we increase in wisdom, but we can sharpen our ability to discern and be able to see with eyes that see because once we're finished with today's podcast i think your eyes will be wide open to how prevalent the antichrist messages are in the world today it's everywhere no wonder we as a people are ever seeking and ever learning about how to achieve joy and yet we're never achieving it or grasping it as a whole so some background first At the later end of the 17th reign of the judges, Korahor comes into the land of Zarahemla and he's preaching against the prophecies that are concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this occurred after there had been continual peace in the land for about a year or more. Now, the Nephites, they had pushed back the Lamanites. They had buried both the dead of the Lamanites and also their dead. And in fact, they didn't even number how many lives were lost during this battle because the number was so great. And so obviously, this is a tender time for the Nephites. The people of Ammon, they're now settled very well in the land of Jershon. And the Nephites had also completed a mourning period, a period of fasting and mourning and prayer. That's how they handled their grief. This is their process of healing. And during this time, their diligence and their commitment to the commandments and the ordinances of God, they were intensified and they increased in their observance of the ordinances of God, according to the law of Moses. And because of this time period in their lives, of course, opposition is going to show up. I'm finding wherever, either in scripture or in our own lives, whenever there is great obedience that's shown and outpouring of the spirit is then manifested, the adversary slinks around the corner and he bears his ugly head. In fact, you can just count on it. Now, Mormon makes it really clear that it was not against the Nephite law to have a differing belief. That was a fundamental law that they observed since the King Mosiah times, that in order to have equality for all, those who believed were not to persecute those who didn't, but those who didn't were not to persecute those who believed. It was the Nephite privilege to serve God or not. And punishment by the law only came from breaking the laws of the society. Murdering, stealing, and even adultery were punishable. But not disbelief. You could disbelieve. So in other words, one received punishment only for crimes that were committed. And this kept everyone equal according to the law. So that's how Korihor was able to move about with his message of unbelief. So he made his way to Jershon, and Mormon said that the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, that they were actually more wise than many of the Nephites. And they were wise to his message, and they carried him to Ammon, who was now high priest over Jershon and Ammon had him removed from the land and again i'm supposing this is because he's causing a disturbance and he his message is then persecuting those who believed and then Korihor then went to the land of Gideon and they wouldn't have anything to do with him either which i just want to point out this is good news because remember how Alma had spent some time in Gideon and had worked hard and many had converted. So it's just great to hear that the people are holding on to their faith. And in Gideon, Corahor was brought before the high priest there, and his name was Gedona. And after speaking to Korihor, Gedona and the chief judge in Gideon, they bound him and they sent him to Zarahemla to appear before Alma and the chief judge, who was the governor over all of the land. So here are the teachings that Korahor proclaimed to believe. He taught that there never was and neither shall there be a Christ. That the people were actually bound down under this foolish and this vain hope. That they were yoked with foolish things such as the ordinances and the performances that they observed under the law of Moses. This was binding them down. And that there is no man who can know of anything which is to come. So why are they looking for a Christ to come? And he called the prophecies that had been handed down by the holy prophets, he called them the foolish traditions of their fathers, and that you cannot know of things which you do not see. He mocked the people for believing that they had experienced a remission of their sins, and he called it an effect of a frenzied mind. He called it derangement, and he blamed it upon the traditions of their fathers who had led them away into false beliefs. And just as a side note, you can see why the anti-Nephi-Lehi's were like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, no, we are not delusional. He claimed that there was no atonement that had been made for the sins of man, and he taught that it was only self-management that enabled man to fare well in life. So, it was according to a man's genius and a man's strength whether or not he came off conqueror. Korahor also believed in moral relativism, for he taught whatsoever a man did was no crime. And he also taught that there was no afterlife. Once a man was dead, that was the end. He accused the ancient priests and the current priests of the time for trying to usurp power and authority over the people and to keep the people in ignorance so that the people will just keep their heads down and and then be brought down. And I'm assuming this means so that they'll submit to the will of the priests and be sheep and just do whatever the priests wanted them to do. For he goes on to say that the people, they are not free. They're in bondage and that the priests benefited actually off the people by glutting themselves with the labors of the people, by getting rich off the people's hard work. He explained that this actually keeps the people down and it keeps them ignorant of their rights and their privileges. It also prevents the people from benefiting from what is theirs because they're afraid that they might offend the priest's And the priests then manipulate the people through their traditions and their dreams and their whims and their quote unquote visions and their pretended mysteries that the people don't even dare to deviate from what they say because they might offend some unknown God and that this unknown being, this unknown God has never been seen or known and never will be seen. And finally, he blamed the priests for preaching doctrine that said that because of the transgression of a parent, or in other words, he's referring to Adam's transgression, that all are a fallen people. He finds that to be a lie. And he taught that a child is not guilty because of its parents' sin, which is an interesting point because if left on their own, we would agree. But placed back into the context, this is a half-truth. An Antichrist always uses half-truths, and it becomes a mistruth and a huge stumbling block in properly utilizing the atonement of Jesus Christ in the first place. And finally, Korahor accused the priests of not knowing that there shall be a Christ. So here are the philosophies of an Antichrist, and truthfully, these are the teachings of the world that we live in. And these are actually some of the attacks that we hear about against the church. We live in an antichrist world. And for just a few minutes, let's entertain the notion that antichrists want us to adopt. That there never was and there never will be a Christ. And you need to ask yourself, where will that leave you? Now, I know this can be a rather uncomfortable notion to consider, but it is critical to do so. And let me tell you why. Because there are those, I know because they've approached me, who will tell you that you are just drinking the Kool-Aid. That all these commandments that you must follow for your religion are actually burdens placed upon you. That these rules are the true cause of your unhappiness and that striving to qualify to be temple-worthy And all that that entails is, and then following an elderly man who proclaims to talk to God is actually brainwashing you. And it's actually leading you along as if you were sheep. You're not thinking for yourself, that you need to untangle yourself from all of that. They proclaim that if you do so, that is where the true freedom resides and where truth can then finally be explored. And it's all relative to how you choose to look at things also. And you can decide what is true for you and what isn't. And then you can just allow others to decide what is true for them and what isn't. And I think if we're talking Kool-Aid, that before you quench your thirst with their offering, that you really truly need to consider what it is you're being sold and what it is you're ingesting. First, you need to buy off on their belief that there never was nor will there ever be a Christ. So if there was no Christ, then there would have been no communication between God and man. Because of our fallen state, we are not in the presence of God. But remember, they even, they even questioned, that was Adam's transgression, not all of us are fallen. But Jesus, who is the Lord, manifests himself to us. And he perfectly represents our Father. He is the Lord of the Old Testament. And it's through him that we receive the commandments necessary to know how to govern ourselves. But it goes so much far deeper than that. Because if there was no Christ, the heavens would be closed. For without the atonement of Jesus Christ, we all would have immediately failed under the justice of God. But the Antichrist hasn't has a belief about that also, but we'll get to it. But Christ, he's the one who brings the mercy to our lives. He enables us to even contemplate, let alone nurture a relationship with deity. He brings the joy. Christ brings the do-overs that we so desperately in our nature, we desperately yearn for. Without Christ, there would be no power in coming back from error or hurting one another. We would be at the mercy of the temperament and the hurt of those around us. But because of Christ, we can begin again. He is the symbol of a brand new day. He brings deliverance from agony and then fills us with joy. Our joy comes from knowing who we are and whose we are. Joy comes from knowing why we are here and where we are headed. Joy comes from knowing we are eternal beings that lived long before we came to this earth and we still will live long after. Joy comes from knowing that we are precious in the sight of God. How He isn't some mad scientist creating us and then just placing us all together here on this earth for His own amusement or even a God who has just completely removed himself and his influence from us. Instead, we know he is very involved, and the potential of his involvement in our lives and what he can make of it brings us joy. Yet, Korahor, and all the Antichrist messages that we are surrounded with would have us believe that these are foolish and vain hopes the effect of a frenzied mind, that the atonement isn't a real thing, and where would that belief leave us? Ask yourself. Left carrying all of our burdens is the answer. We would then be defined by our mistakes. We would be like Jacob Marley in the Charles Dickens novel, The Christmas Carol. We would be chained down to carry the weight of all of our greedy moments, all of the times in which we were harsh, and all of the hurts we've caused along the way. Misery, heaviness, despair, and shame. It's all truly what an Antichrist and their teachings would replace our joy with. But they have an answer for that too. If you don't believe there's righteousness, then you don't believe there's wickedness. And I suppose that's where moral relativism plays a really important part in the antichrist plan for to be weighed down by the moral argument of what is right and what is wrong or in other words if you remove righteousness then you also can remove the need for punishment right you can fool yourself into thinking that removing the potential for happiness and joy and pretending that misery won't follow that's the truth and if there was no right or wrong no crime for whatever a man does then there's no pull on his soul on his heart to then be considerate of others or to feel the need to correct to self-correct or even go through the process of self-reflecting in the first place let alone sacrificing right there would be there would be no desire no compelling reason to sacrifice And if there's no afterlife, what's the point of all this high moral living anyways? And where is any rejoicing in that? Death would be a certainty and an everlasting state. It would eliminate any reward for growth or endurance or knowledge gained or the need to even preserve family relationships or even the hope of something better than the world that we live in this would be as good as it gets. And the word this in that sentence can mean a whole bunch of things to many different people based on the circumstances that they face. Some are holding on to the relief that will come in the next life, the restoration, or even the reunification with loved ones who have gone on before. For those who have found peace in not understanding all the mysteries of life, but who choose to faithfully endure until they one day can, all of these practices that bring peace and they lead us to joy despite the griefs that this world deals us, all of that joy would be removed if there was no Christ. And that feels empty, doesn't it? If there was no Christ, then what would be the point of faithfully performing ordinances that direct us back to him or cause us to reflect upon him? To cause us to reach for something higher and holier? I ask you, what distance would you experience from the Spirit if you stopped performing them, those ordinances or those performances, like your, your daily religious performances that you do? And then what would you replace the void in your time or your thoughts or your actions with if those religious, those, those both public and private devotions, if they were removed, I don't know, more work to get ahead in life, to get more stuff, to focus on elevating yourself and paying more attention to what brings you happiness in the moment or relaxation, comfort, slothfulness, If we aren't practiced at looking outside of ourselves to seek Christ, what would cause us to seek our neighbors, the elderly, the widows, the vulnerables of our society? If Christ didn't compel us to be his hands and to reach out to those in need, who or what would? What would compel you to do so? Your government? And what would motivate us to have compassion upon them in the first place if we believe the Antichrist messages because the message of Korihor and the message that the world often touts is man prospers because of his own management, because of your own genius in your own strength. What would prevent us from not blaming the individual for their circumstances? If you were just a little smarter, you wouldn't be in such financial strain. If you were just a little, if you just worked a little harder, you could have the good things in life, but I guess you choose not to. What looking down upon the less fortunate would we do? What value would we see in them if we believed that their lack of genius and strength actually brought upon them the very circumstances that are causing their suffering in the first place? Without Christ-like love that causes us to Focus and exercise Christ like attributes. What lows would our society drop to? What would cause us to keep our pride in check or even motivate us or even think about that in the first place? What sorrow would then exist? I could go on and on. (laughs) I haven't even touched upon the teachings against the church leaders that an antichrist uses to create mistrust and rebellion within one's own heart. But you hear it so clearly in the attacks right now against the church. The harshness alone that Korihor used contradicted his own teachings when it came to church priests. His critique alone relied on the need for them to have high moral conduct and faulted them for their belief, which ultimately contradicted what Korihor taught and professed to believe in the first place. Korihor believed that Alma— along with the others who labored in the church, did so to get gain and to have some sort of dominion over the people. But Alma, to this argument, declared that never had he received any money for any of his labors. So, what benefit would he get other than the rejoicing he's experienced when truth brings joy to those he teaches? Corahor, like others who profess these sorts of antichrist philosophies, proclaimed that one cannot know that there is a Christ or that one is to come, that there is no evidence of such things being true, and that evidence is required to believe because you can't believe in something you cannot see. So he challenged those who exercised faith. He made a mockery of their faith. Because remember, no one can know what is going to happen in the future. Evidence or proof is needed. And all of this talk about a savior is actually, he says, keeping people enslaved. This is evidence based, this is science based. You must be able to prove your belief. So, Alma, interestingly, flips the argument at this point. He flips it around and he asks, What evidence do you have that there is no God and that Christ won't come? For in all truth, it's only the word of the Antichrist that people who believe them are going off of also. Both positions take a degree of faith, believing in things which are not seen. So for Korahor's faith... He wanted a sign, proof that God exists, and he wouldn't accept the evidence that Alma pointed out. That was all around him, the testimony of holy prophets, of church members, and their experiences of the scriptures, or even the earth and everything upon it and the planets that were set in motion. None of these things to him were good enough evidence. All things denote there is a God, but Korihor, he wanted more. So God gave Korihor a sign, and Korihor was struck dumb, never being able to speak again. And even when Korihor begged, in written form, of course, to have the sign lifted from him, claiming that he would take back everything he said, the sign wasn't lifted from him. And it was here that Korihor finally spoke the truth. He explained that the devil had deceived him. That the devil appeared to him as an angel, commanding him to go and reclaim the people because they had all gone astray after an unknown God. The devil even told Korhor that there was no God, which the logic alone doesn't make sense to me. What authority could the devil possibly proclaim to have if there wasn't a superior being and really without a God? What would it have even mattered if the people had sought an unknown one? But the most interesting line to me, and what I believe we need to hold on to, as Corahor's observation of why he taught the lies that he did and why he had had so much success in these teachings, it was because these Antichrist messages were pleasing to the carnal mind. The natural man is an enemy to God. The natural man does not want to be held accountable. The natural man doesn't like rules. The natural man wants to be able to do what he wants to do. And he doesn't want to be judged to be righteous or wicked or to have those actions be judged as right or wrong. The natural man is out for his own glory in his own comfort. And he doesn't want to think about the needs of others or to serve others. The natural man delights in power and doesn't want to answer to a god who is supposedly greater than he is. He doesn't want to be guilted or shamed even. The natural man doesn't want to follow rules that would require discipline and sacrifice and obedience, let alone admit when he's wrong and then seek redemption, let alone rely on faith for these things. The natural man wants what he wants, But he also doesn't want to conform to a God's way of doing things in order to get those things. He just wants to be told, you do you, and it's all going to be okay that you can still have everything that I have. It'll all be available to you. And it's this natural man found within all of us because of our mortality that we must choose between every moment that arises in our life. So Korihor was cast out of Zarahemla and the result of Alma's encounter with Korihor was published throughout all the land. And it asked those who believed in his teachings to forsake them and come back. And many did. And Korihor was left on his own, begging for food. And he made his way to the Zoramite people who were Nephite dissenters, who had adopted their own wicked traditions largely based off of his teachings. And he went forth amongst them He was not safe among them. Remember, he can't speak. And he actually was run down, trodden down, even until he was dead when he was among them. That's what his philosophies, a society that adopted his philosophies, that's how they treated him. I love the way that Mormon sums up the chapter for us. And it's how I'll end today's podcast. And thus we see the end of him who perverteth the ways of the Lord. And thus we see that the devil will not support his children in the last day. Both doth speedily drag them down to hell. May we now be wiser and go about our day with more joy because our eyes are now opened. We have eyes to see and we've chosen to learn God's word here, allowing him to support and to lift us up unto him.